0: Online at kfuo.org.
1: to concord matters you are on worldwide KFUO. we're the messenger of good news and the reason we care about concord and harmony is because that good news is worth guarding keeping cherishing preserving and pressing forward the good news of who jesus is and what he has done for you and me and for us all and of how he died and rose again to make us of one mind in him all the way into an everlasting paradise which he will rule as our god and brother I have with me as my friends and compatriots to look at the Book of Concord today and uh, kind of try to better and more deeply understand this truth about who Jesus is Pastor Peter Ill of Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstead, Illinois, Pastor Sean Smith of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Winehill, Illinois, and Emmanuel Lutheran Church in West Point, Illinois. Mr. Peter Slayton, social media manager of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, I am your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, uh, voice on the air here for KFUO Radio, and we are picking up, gentlemen, still in... Can you go figure? Article 4 of the Apology of the Osmer Convention. Do you think, you think you might be in that for a little while? Uh, but a new section, and to kind of turn a corner here, to, to the point where by the end of this section, they're going to be saying things like, why are we even still talking about this? This should be so obvious. Like It just shouldn't take a long discussion. Uh, the subtitle here, no one can keep the law perfectly, something that you would think all Christians everywhere could agree on.
0: Yeah, and that's very much where it is, but this conversation isn't limited to the use of the law in God's church. Really, why do we care so much about the law? And maybe this is a good place kind of to enter with. We don't care about the law for the sake of the law, but we care about the law because it is the law that shows us our depravity and it is the law that drives us to Christ and that shows us the gospel and the justification that we have there this whole article if you go back to the augsburg confession in article four the theme isn't the gospel or the law and the gospel but rather the theme is justification and if we are participating in the life of the church and in the life of christ and we lose sight of justification then what's the point There is no point if we are just going through the motions. If I'm going to church to check off the boxes, and if I want myself to be known as a good Christian, that's not what any of this is about. This is about Jesus Christ, who suffered and was crucified and was buried and who has risen from the dead and who has ascended and who rules over all things. And in the middle of our calamities and in the middle of our tragedies, we get to look to Christ and say, I am justified. I am saved by my Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that is the emphasis. That is the focus. Why do we care? We care because this points us ultimately to our justification through
1: uh, by Christ alone, through faith alone. Period. That wonderful opening salvo reminds me of one of Pastor Smith's favorite homeboys who taught me something. A guy named C.F.W. Walther. I remember this was on Vicarage. One of the, the theses in his Law and Gospel. Uh, it goes. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. But it goes something like this: All of our preaching of the law must be for the express purpose of preaching the gospel. And that struck me because it doesn't. It's not saying the law isn't a value. It's just saying if you give it the wrong place. If you give it the wrong the wrong goal, what you end up doing is, is destroying the thing it's given to do, which is to drive us to Christ.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point to make, because even just recently I was asked kind of on this as we've been spending, I think we're on a couple months on this article now. Um, but yeah, we get it. We're saved by grace, right? And and uh, we can't keep the law. So what's what's the point of going on and on about this? And the, and they even made the point that that really this was an issue back in the 1500s, but post Vatican II for the for the Roman Church, uh, it's not really an issue anymore. But it really is an issue. Uh, we're still prone to think that we have something to offer, something to bring forward. But really, as long as the law remains unfulfilled by us, and that. it it will continue to accuse us the law demands perfection and so it is just going to utterly drive me towards the gospel and so we do really need that law to its full sternness so that we recognize just how beautiful a gift we have in christ's full and complete satisfaction
1: and and Someone bringing a Vatican II is the reason that it's all better. It kind of demonstrates the need for the point, too, right? right. I mean, all Vatican II did was redefine grace so they could fit works into it. <laughs> they didn't exactly <laughs> go to grace alone. Peter, I think well, I
3: interrupted you. No, you didn't interrupt. I hadn't started yet. Um, well, what I was going to say is we always, we, we keep going around and around and around in this article, or Melanchthon does, and I think, yeah, we might start to get tired of it, but I think it also helps us realize, and how he keeps bringing it up, that in whatever shape it takes we're always trying to as pastor ill said turn into check boxes that we can just mark off and it's kind of like what melanchthon is doing is he's just kind of catching that as it well we're talking about a grease pig last time a couple times ago it's always trying we're always trying to nail it down so that we can do it and he's just whether it's that form of legalism whether it's pietism whatever label ends up getting put on it we always try and find some way where Maybe it doesn't accuse me quite as much, just a, a little bit, not accusing me. And yet here, you know, as we as we started just before the reading, the law does not justify as long as it can accuse us. No matter how little that accusation is, no justification is possible. And, and I need to keep reading that for myself. I cannot justify myself in any way in regards to the law as long as there's a teeny tiny bit of it accusing. And and the problem is we always say well I can't really believe that because if I do I'm just going to be left in despair, and the answer to that is yes, Romans seven, thanks be to God yeah. who will deliver me from this body of death, oh Jesus, and we're going to get there in this section if <laughs> eventually we'll we'll get to that um, where that's where Melanchthon ends up going. He's like, look guys, this is Romans seven. I'm keep, I keep beating you over the head with this because, well, that's the Christian life. This is what it is despair with regard to yourself so that you might
1: have hope with regard to Christ. And, yeah. and that's kind of the, the big key there.
2: Yeah. And, and one, one final point is going to be brought out again here too, but for, for the Catholics, um, th- there's really a, an issue of order here. They, they believe that this is what Jesus came to do is the beginning of renewal. Um, for them and and instead of full and complete what christ has accomplished and so that's really kind of the heart of the disagreement here of where they just keep missing each other and so yeah we really need to to recognize that it, it's not just you know that this begins our ability to keep the law uh no, it, it completely satisfies it. And so then the law, the third function, as we've talked before, um, gives me the burdens completely off. And so I love my neighbor for my neighbor's sake and not in any way, shape or form in in trying to keep the law.
1: The adversaries are right in thinking that love is the fulfilling of the law and that obedience to the law is certainly righteousness. That's paragraph 38 on page 133 in the first edition of the Concordia Publishing House Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord. The adversaries are right in thinking that love is the fulfilling of the law and that obedience to the law is certainly righteousness. So we're, we're conceding. If you're going to keep the law, love certainly sums it up. And, and we're conceding that righteousness, at least one way of interpreting the word righteousness, is to describe perfectly keeping the law. No problem with that. But they make a mistake in this matter. They think that we are justified By the law. So effectively, they think we can attain this righteousness. We think that we can have enough love that we would make ourselves into perfect beings. Since we are not justified by the law, we receive forgiveness of sins and reconciliation through faith for Christ's sake. And they're kind of relying on what's gone before here, that it's evident that we're not justified by the law. It's evident that we do not love perfectly. It's evident that the law was not given to justify us in the first place, but it's simply how we were designed and created to be. And so because we can't do that, we need something else. That thing is forgiveness, absolution. You can call it reconciliation, you can call it overlooking, I, however you, want, you guys want to work on describing that. And I think this maybe something to bring out here a little bit. But that this action that God takes on our behalf to sweep away our sin, this is not because of love or the fulfilling of the law it follows necessarily that we are justified through faith in Christ. So uh, God is not responding to us quite the other way around. God is doing something to us in order that we might love. No one wants to get rid of love. We just want love to be kept in
3: the proper place. I think one of the things you said there kind of in the middle was it, it it never, the law was never intended to justify us. I think we tend to forget that. Mm. Um, Whenever we treat the law as, okay, I, I did it a little bit at least. We're we're treating it as if that's its purpose is to actually justify us. And if only I hadn't been a fallen sinful human being, the law would justify me. But that wasn't actually the the point of it. Hmm. I mean, we've talked about this brought up several times that the point of the law is this is God's will for how how we are to live. It was never intended to justify us. From the foundations of the earth before the foundations of the earth were laid christ was intended to justify us and it's i don't know i at least find it very easy to forget that
1: yeah the justification of the creation was that christ or god spoke it into being right so from the beginning let there be light that's the justification <laughs> of existence right <laughs> the light didn't have to shine to, 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 to prove value to itself it shined as a result of the value it was declared to be and that goes for everything in the created order this is how weird we are. So we turn around and we take that and we think, having broken it, we're going to put it back together by our own power.
2: Yeah. And, sorry, did I cut you off, Peter? No, All right. no. <laughs> All right. I'm trying you're, to bring Peter, and Peter back
1: in. Peter's <laughs> Peter's dwelling on the deep thoughts of justification and, and its application to life.
2: He
0: is. But, oh. but Pastor Smith has a point, so we'll, we'll let him carry on. Well,
2: <laughs> and it is so foundational. I mean, if someone really believes that they obtain the forgiveness of sins. If they, if they are justified, if they are made worthy of entrance into heaven by their own works, uh, this f- connects all the way back to paragraph one, one fifty and the old version 29 in the, the reader's edition here, uh, that really what happens is we dishonor Christ. We insult Christ, mm. um, and basically say you, you weren't enough. And I don't want to tell Christ that, mm. uh, and we will find out on the last day that that'll really put us in a in a hard position if if Christ's work was insufficient.
1: It's a strange thought, though, right? I mean, it, when you go through Holy Week and you watch all that takes place, you hear all the scriptures read, you hear him breathe his last to think that, the, oh, well, that was just kind of what God needed to start the engine. But now you better come along and, and shape up or else. Or I think it's as Paul asked the question, you oh, how will he who gave him up for us all not also along with him graciously give us all things? If, if Christ died for us, Romans eight. if Christ died for us, who could be against us, right? And the insanity of coming along and thinking that whatever I could add on top, even if I could do really, really good works, like really, really good Jonathan Vist good works, how could they possibly move the bar of what Christ has already accomplished? It's just adding adding a drop of water to an ocean, And less than that, even.
3: What was begun in the spirit, are you going to finish it in the flesh or complete it or continue it? I mean, really? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that just, the the way you describe that completely guts Holy Week entirely. Right. And makes it meaningless. And yet, that's what our flesh does (laughs) every time. (laughs) And part of the way our flesh works on this
0: and especially as we're evaluating the apology of the Augsburg Confession, we think a lot about the Roman Catholic Church. But uh, we here see and have a real concern over not just the Roman Catholic Church, but about all of those who would teach about a uh, a perfect sanctification hmm. um, or a possible earthly completion of the law. And there comes a point where people say, "I think I can do it," and they get to like the uh, the Thomas the Tank is it Thomas the Tank Engine? No, it's Little Engine That Could. Yeah, yeah, yeah there we go. Little Engine That Could. Yeah, they, they're trains. I'm close, <laughs> but but they have this idea. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can conquer my sin. I think I can live with pure motives. I think I can do this. And and we. Uh, my flesh, probably a lot of other people's, people's flesh too, gets into this habit of trying to have a, a complete sanctification where we can live this out and we can live according to the law. And as we have that thought, then we, we try to do it. And that's exactly what this uh, paragraph, paragraph 38 here, is talking about. If we think we can do it, then we've missed the entire point of the law. The entire point of the law isn't, I think I can. But the point of the law is, hear God tell you you can't. Hear God tell you that you need a savior. That's the point of the law. If you look at the law and say, yep, I can do it. I can have this method and this program, and I can uh, call it virtue or call it morals or ethics or or however you want to title it. If you think you can fulfill the law, you're wrong. And that is when we simply... Turn to Christ, and we proclaim Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sinners, including me, and we rejoice.
1: If you think you can f- fulfill the law, you're wrong. And then you got to kind of like amplify that doubly so. If you think that you can fulfill the law of loving others, God and self, selflessly, so that you might gain something from it, what kind of fool are you? Right? That, that you would take this thing that you can't do in the first place, which even if it were done, would have nothing to do with you and you'd make it all about you. Mm-hmm.
3: Could yeah. we could we even go so far as to say even your attempts at doing this? You know, because you get a lot of people, it's like, well, at least I tried. You know, I tried to be a good person. I tried to do the right thing. And, you know, it's the thought that counts. I mean, can we even go so far as to say, look, even that is is filthy rags and you shouldn't even be patting yourself on the back for your attempts? I think so.
2: Yeah, well, I'm I'm finding myself spinning off into another thought here. I I don't often find myself and and in those I minister to thinking that they can keep the law. What I find oftentimes is that they're just misdirected hmm. to places that they're they're trying to find assurance, hmm. but sometimes. Uh, denominations pastors have failed in pointing to the things that actually give us the assurance the objective things of um christ where christ tells us to find them our baptism the lord's supper um the fact that he did matter of factly in history die upon the cross for the sins of the whole world right and I'm, i'm finding myself thinking about memorial day just yesterday right and there's this notion, especially in American Christianity, that just by service in the United States Armed Forces, that you're, oh, that's the best work you can do, hmm. right? And, and there is this need for restraining evil in the world. There is the need for executing justice. These are good works that God commands in the civil realm that we live in, and we need them. But if we confuse ourselves and think that that somehow um, automatically makes me good, I can point to something that I have accomplished, that I have done this loving thing. I've sacrificed, you know, my own desires and laid my life on the line, or at least been willing to. Um, then we really put ourselves in a in a hard place because again, we weren't intending to. It's not like we were thinking that we could do this, um, but. We were misdirected to a place to find assurance of, I've, got, I've done something good. And the reality is, is that, you know, thinking of Memorial Day, you can be the best, most faithful soldier anywhere. You can be the best, most faithful father or mother. You can be the best, most faithful pastor. But if you have not faith and full trust in Christ, you're going to be left wanting on that day of judgment. And that's... That's that's why this really matters, that we have that understanding. And then when we realized, again, that that burden is relieved off of me, well, now I can go be a faithful soldier, as Martin Luther talked about in uh, what was the book that he wrote? Uh, that
1: even soldiers can be saved.
2: Yeah, uh, even soldiers can be saved. You know, that that's that's Luther's whole point is, you know, there that's love for your neighbor's sake and has nothing to do with, with getting you into heaven or you know, your eternal salvation.
1: I think you're really quite on when you say that uh, it's not like most of us wake up and and have a moment happen. And think, well, right now I believe I need to justify myself by my works. Like, it's just not what we do. And most churches that would teach such a thing aren't really teaching that, that blatantly, not either. that crassly, no, not that yeah, crassly, right. but we just have this, as an inbred habit, it's just our, our default position. I was reading this morning in a, in a leadership book and the guy was talking about how the world doesn't need your explanations, how it, it was a habit he'd found in his life that when when he needed to say no to something, he would proceed to give an explanation of why he couldn't. And it struck me a little more deeply than just when I have to say no, it's when whenever I'm confronted with anything that isn't the way I want it to go, my first inclination is to explain why I would have it be the other way. Right. And what a habit this is, literally, of self justifying. That is the, the definition of it. And whether or not you do it the same way I do, we all have that edge to us where we want to be received as we present ourselves. Right. And, and we'll go to, uh, to deep ends to try to make that happen. And then you point out we have – we create traditions and, and formulations and, and spiritualities to, to justify our self-justification, right, that we might put the stamp on it. And Memorial Day by no means is such a thing in its essence, in its essence is remembering those who've served and fought for us. But you can take anything that's good and and turn it into a, an idol.
2: And we quickly do because our hearts are so idol our factories natural natural after state, all. Yeah. Natural
1: state. And,
0: and we end up just kind of falling into this in a uh, – in a Memorial Day service that I was uh, observing, attending, in fact, um, one of the prayers that was used was, uh, wherever there is a grave with a soldier in it, there we know that that ground is hallowed. Mm. And uh, all of a sudden, I I, I looked up and, and I looked around and I thought, Wait, there's a couple of of really interesting things here. One is uh, the use of this word hallowed. Uh, We use the word hallowed in the Lord's Prayer. And outside of the Lord's Prayer, we don't talk about hallowed space uh, as 21st century American people. We just just don't do that. But now we have God's name being hallowed and the grave of a soldier being being a hallowed or a holy place, and it got me to thinking a little bit uh, since then about these really wonderful words from the committal rite, which actually talks in a very similar way, not because one is a soldier, but because one is a Christian, and it says uh, in a prayer near the very beginning of the committal rite, uh, and and so the pastor will pray, O Lord Jesus Christ, by your three-day rest in the tomb, you hallowed, or made holy, the graves of all who believe in you, promising resurrection to our mortal bodies. Bless this grave, that the body of our brother or sister may sleep here in peace until you awaken him or her to glory, when he or she will see you face to face and know the splendor of the eternal God. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever." We can talk about a grave as a sacred space, but not by virtue of what we have done, but by virtue of God, whose name is hallowed and whose name is holy, has come here and he makes this place holy. If it's up to me to make anything holy, we are in a world of hurt. But when it is up to God to make me holy, to make the place where my body will rest until the return of Christ— if that's where the onus is, if that's how it works, that it is God who makes things holy, well, that's fantastic.
1: That's a really interesting, uh, uh, first off, that you notice that, that it happened. I mean, that's one of those moments, which happens sometimes, where it's like, I'm not sure I can say amen now. That's what I was going to I'm going to feel really weird, Can I
3: say amen to this? I don't know. (laughs) No, and I I don't think (laughs) I
1: could have at that point.
3: But it it, it
1: decries, or be cries, I don't even know if that's the right word, it shows how... The word holy in itself now has kind of lost that, the meaning that you were seeing in it, which is that God, holiness comes from God being holy and all holiness is proximity to him in some way, shape or form, as opposed to a more secular view of holy, which is not about the uniqueness or the differentness of God. But about righteousness, about justification, right? So this grave is holy; it's set apart because it's better in a certain way, and and that confusion of justification and sanctification is—it's got long tendrils, if I can just say it that mm-hmm. way.
2: Yeah, and and I've noticed this connection not at a Memorial Day service, but uh, and those of us who are pastors in here, you've probably done a funeral for a veteran. And they come and they do the the military rites mm-hmm. after you've done your committal at the graveside. And I'm often quite conflicted at the words of that that rite. Again, they're they're pointing to the works that this soldier has done as he's standing at the pearly gates and you know, by mm-hmm. by works of that, and, and it's just it just kinda gut wrenches me because what I have just proclaimed as pastor is that this grave is hallowed by virtue of God's holy name and where do we receive that name but in baptism and once again you know we're casting about we're looking for assurance we need some sort of hope we we need that but for some reason well I know the reason why it's it's the devil working behind to to snatch us away but oftentimes we have just not pointed to the things where we find that assurance baptism. That's why the funeral service for a Christian is all about baptism. And it's just focused right there. There's your assurance. You are saved by virtue of Christ. You've been baptized into his death and his resurrection. So this grave will burst forth one day on the last day. You have all you need. And so in your life, yes, of course you loved and served your neighbor because you didn't have to worry about saving yourself.
1: Nothing wrong with love. problem is when you try to turn love into a way to, well, love yourself rather than your neighbor and therefore lose the one hope in the midst of our despair, the work of Jesus. We'll be back with more of that in just a moment.
0: The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org slash
1: jobsboard. School's out. I'm bored. School's out. I have nothing to do. If you just completed 6th through 12th grade, join me and 100 other youth in the city of St. Louis, June 5th through 8th. We explore our identity in Christ with servant events, games, speakers, food, and much more. There's no boredom.
0: I have no money.
1: It's just $10 for an entire week. We'll even feed you. To know more and register, go to epiphany stlorg That's epiphany lo This week on His Time's daily lectionary study, Luke chapter 19 and 20 gives us one more parable before Jesus' triumphal entry brings him into head-to-head attack with the Pharisees cleansing the temple and having his authority challenged. What does it mean and why? And how can it strengthen your faith? Join us, weekday mornings at 8 a.m. for your morning drive for the soul, His Time, on Worldwide KFUO.
3: Your smartphone takes you anywhere instantly. At a click, you can read, watch, and listen to just about anything. Some websites are good and some are bad. Some sites are truthful, but others are deceptive. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hear the truth of Jesus daily on Worldwide KFUO. Using today's smartphone technology, KFUO brings the gospel to you where you are. KFUO is just a click away, 24 hours a day. KFUO.org
0: When we refer to the Bible as the book of all books, it doesn't necessarily mean only a printed version. We've come a long way from the days of the Gutenberg Press and the first printing of Bibles.
3: Smartphones and social
0: media platforms are not only changing the way we interact with one another, but also how we interact
3: with the Bible.
0: In a 2017 BBC article, Future Now, the author pointed out one of the first things Christians did with the computer was to put the Bible into digital formats. To some extent, the smartphone Bible is now replacing the book Bible. When the new Museum of the Bible opens later this year, technology will be central in bringing the experience of the Bible to life, welcoming the world to engage with one of the most significant books in history.
2: Brought to you by
0: Museum of the Bible.
1: Welcome back to Concord Matters, where we read through the book of Concord one sentence at a time. Three pastors that cubes the length of how much we will discuss the text. And we're kind of joking about that. In the meantime, we got three sentences ahead in that last 25 minutes. But like we said at the start, guys, it just cannot emphasize enough how basically important this this article is. It touches on everything. And if you, if you don't emphasize it, I shouldn't even say that. The lie is that we would move on from this. The lie is that when we get into Article 6, 7, and 8, now we're not on the Article on Justification anymore. And that's just simply not true. The Article on Justification continues even after we move past the Article on Justification.
3: It truly is the article on which the church stands and falls. We're laying the foundation for everything that will come after this. Tearing pieces of paper... I don't know what's going on His mic on is now off just for the moment. Yeah. I'll turn it back <laughs> on. But... <laughs> no one can see this. Is that good radio or bad uh, radio? This I is don't now, know. This has become
1: bad radio. We're
3: creating mystique. That's what it is. Pa- yes. Patrick
1: Smith has been uh, getting something out of his bag. So you did have something valuable to say, I believe.
3: Here. I was saying, we're, we're laying the foundation. The reason we, it's worth spending so much time on this is because this this is through and through everything else that will be talked about. Well, in the apology and all of theology and mm-hmm. everything, you miss this, you're not ever going to understand anything else or get it.
1: Yeah, you'll you'll twist whatever yeah. you have.
3: And that, not to say that if you get this, you'll never twist anything else. But if you don't get this, you won't get anything else either.
1: Now, was that a comment you were getting out of your bag, Pastor Smith?
3: No. no. <laughs> no? Okay, I was just curious. All right, Let so me check my bag of comments over here.
1: Paragraph 39. In the second place, the fulfilling of the law or obedience toward the law is indeed righteousness when it is complete but and i might i think this is like even then it is small and impure in us so our righteousness is not pleasing for its own sake and is not accepted for its own sake right so this is i think this idea that you know there's some de- debate about when and where we can say this as lutherans but the, the two kinds of righteousness that there is the righteousness of the law which is truly righteousness but it's kind of If you're going to let it stand compared to the righteousness of God, it's pretty weak and pitiful beside this. Uh, From what has been said above, it is clear that justification means not the beginning of the renewal, but the reconciliation by which we are accepted afterwards. It can now be seen much more clearly that starting to fulfill the law does not justify. Because such fulfillment is only accepted on account of faith, nor must we trust that we are accounted righteous before God by our own perfection and fulfilling of the law, but rather for Christ's sake. Which is to say, again, on the last day, when we stand there fully righteous, never to sin again— That will not be the means by which we remain innocent throughout eternity. It will still be Christ doing for us, right? And that's where that that distinction of the two kinds of righteousness, law and gospel is another way to say it, is such a valuable thing for
3: understanding us versus God. I think one thing that I want to jump in on here, too, is all of a sudden in this paragraph, Melanchthon is now talking using righteousness being complete, fulfilling the law. It's like all of a sudden we flipped back and it can be very easy to say, oh, wait, wait, so there is fulfillment of the law and now he's talking about me starting to fulfill the law it's like it you, you can very easily think that he's now worked his way backwards to this point where oh okay so i do come into it somewhere but that's not what he's actually doing you see he ends at the paragraph no it's for christ's sake and at the very beginning of the paragraph there is a point where righteousness is is complete if you've been paying attention that's in christ Mm. and what he's done and the references to anything that we do well we're the small and impure Mm -hmm. worthless in in many ways you could you could potentially go that far and say worthless so we have to be careful as we're continuing reading okay we can't all of a sudden forget everything else we just read just because now he's using words that we like it's like oh fulfillment and complete and i'm in that sentence somewhere as a subject no that's Still not how that works. Yeah. The
0: law can be kept. The law can be fulfilled. And there is such a thing as righteousness before the law. The good news is Jesus did it. Huh. Um, you can't. But we look to Christ and and uh, you might harken back to your days of confirmation class and think about uh, the conversation and the distinction between active righteousness and passive righteousness. The same thing I was trying to say earlier. Yeah, keep, keep going. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so we have we have just this thing going on of Jesus kept the entire and total law for us. And so now how is how is it that I am righteous? I am righteous because I am in Christ because I am in Christ, then we remember hey that that settles it. Um, I, I was talking with a member today. I'd been asked to, uh, first time I've gotten to do this in the pastoral ministry, and I'm sure that there's pastors listening to me who think this is ridiculous, but that's okay. Uh, the, for the first time, You know that Christian, all pastors
1: listening to you, Pastor, Hill, think that what you are yeah, saying and well, doing is ridiculous. well, exactly. Okay. Just, just, just making sure you knew. I,
0: thanks.
1: Tell I'm the glad story. you said I'm, that. I'm well. sure it's a good story. Uh,
0: so a Christian asked me today to anoint them with oil. Oh, cool. And, and as I got to thinking about it, I was simply able to say, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The word Messiah means the anointed guy. Mm -hmm. He's the anointed guy, and now you have received the anointing. Uh, Sure, you've gotten a dab of oil on your forehead, but more importantly, you've received the anointing of Christ. You are brought into Christ, and you are... In the Messiah, you are anointed, you are Messiahized hmm. because of Jesus. And so you simply receive that as a gift. And and it was a, a wonderful and, and powerful moment. So yay yeah. Yeah, for cool. <laughs> a new revelation that I that I've gotten to experience today.
2: This is so central for the teaching of Lutherans, once again pointing to where our assurance comes from. We as Lutherans just we want to talk about baptism all the time. And Luther really captures this quite well in his explanation of baptism in the small catechism he Says I should by daily contrition, and repentance, drown all sin, evil lusts and desires that I may arise a new man and live in righteousness and purity before God forever. So this, this righteousness, he's just defining what righteousness is. You're right. Righteousness is the keeping of the law, perfect, right living according to the law And when it's complete, you are truly righteous. And I'm going to be accused until the day that I die and probably, as I have most often seen, on that deathbed, just laying in despair of how imperfectly I have kept that. It serves me well uh, to, to live the repentant life here and now to recognize how imperfectly I keep that now because it's not complete in me. And so I drown that daily in my baptism and I arise to live as a new man in Christ Jesus. And there St. Paul says, it's no longer I who live anyway, but Christ who lives in me. There's your perfect righteousness. It's all for Christ's sake. This is the second point.
1: Yeah, I want to I come to this uh, back one more time before we go to the third point to what uh, Peter Slayton was saying about Fulfillment, though, is a word and, and trying to understand what that means for us as Christians, because it, it really has two locations, if I can say maybe three, that in the in the garden, the law was fulfilled perfectly all the way up until the moment that they chose to, to eat the fruit. Uh, since then, the law is, I guess there's, there's kind of two levels of fulfillment in, in the life in which we live now. The unbeliever fulfills the law. Whenever they do what the law says according to its command, but they don't fulfill it perfectly, they don't fulfill it spiritually. The Christian, is what you were saying, it fulfills the law spiritually and perfectly all the time, period, no matter what, because we're in Christ. The Christian also seeks to fulfill the law outwardly and and, and physically, according to the letter. And then in the life of the world to come, those things are going to be merged. So we will have a total, perfect, constant fulfillment of the law, both spiritual and in act, thought, word, and deed, if I can say it that way. And yet even then those works will not merit justification or salvation in any way, shape, or form. Rather, they will, they will serve the purpose for which those works were designed. And you reminded me there, Pastor Smith, then, of uh, the last two verses of These Are the Holy Ten Commands. Did we, did we do this like two, time, two times ago, three times ago? I feel like we, we read some of this. You have this law to see therein that you have not been free from sin, but also that you clearly see how pure toward God life should be. Our works cannot salvation gain. They merit only endless pain. Forgive us, Lord, to Christ we plea, who pleads for us endlessly. They merit only endless pain now because they are incomplete. They won't merit salvation later when they're complete. Uh, it'll just merit perhaps the gratitude of those who receive them.
3: I just want to tag on to what you said about <clears throat> the Garden of Eden there, too. It's also important to remember, um, correct me if I'm using the biblical language properly here, but... Adam was not counted righteous because of his fulfillment of the law in the garden. And so we, we always have to be careful even as we're talking about that is when, even as you say that my first thought is, Oh wait, so, so Adam was good because he fulfilled the law in the garden. No, 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 no. No. I have now mentally turned that around and gotten it backwards. Yep. We're just talking about, I don't know. Is it, is it correct to talk about a state of being a state like, He's, he was still justified by faith. He believed God's word when God said, this is what I want you to do. This is, you know. Right, you're Adam. Yeah, you're Adam. There you like, go. amen. <laughs> <laughs> Don't eat that tree. It'll be bad. Okay. Yeah. Amen. I right. believe that. Right. Um, But it, it's the, the point being that even as we say, Adam fulfilled the law in the garden, we're not saying Adam was justified by the law in the garden. Right. He just did what he was designed to do Yeah. until the day he didn't. And de
1: justified himself? I say that? Yeah? Condemned himself?
3: Hey It broke.
1: pastor yeah. Pastor Ill Pastor Ill looks at me like I'm funny for making up words. Come on, Pastor Ill. <laughs> come oh, on. No, no, no,
0: no, no. I was I was thinking of that whole point all the way through. Oh, gotcha. It didn't have to do I said Messiahized. You did. Uh, so <laughs> I have no room to talk as far as making up words goes.
2: if I can come back though to the these are the Holy Ten Commandments. What a, what a great example! Luther wrote that to teach his children the Ten Commandments. Mm. And what what a beautiful thing those those last two verses that y- that you just read. Mm. What a beautiful thing to teach our children, and and we see the opposite end of this in American Christianity as it's been under the effects of. American evangelicalism for quite a while, kind of those teachings working its way even into some of our Lutheran churches and so forth, that we have been taught that it's all centered around an emotional experience, um, that it's my giving praise and honor and glory to God, and we've tended towards more of those types of songs in some of our churches and things, and it has produced this result to where I just get exhausted because I realize I can't do it enough and you get burnt out and, and all those sorts of things. If we would get back to singing our good Lutheran hymns, we would understand as that is even a Luther hymn. We would We would rightly be teaching our children the proper relationship that we already live in, and they would know the true gospel and have such comfort and assurance. And then I promise you, you will see faithful Christians living in love towards others. Um, But, but oftentimes that's the fear is that, well, they're not going to do these loving things that we are supposed to do. If I don't make it kind of a requirement for them. You're also
1: echoing some of Luther's sentiment with regards to the catechism that he, he writes about that in the large catechism, that if only we could take this thing seriously, what a change it would work in ourselves and in our community. And, it, you got to be careful because obviously you can, you can teach truly till you're blue in the face and have it be rejected. You can teach it to children. They can grow up and they can, they can reject it and fall away. And the, the history of the church is, is replete with that. I think a little bit, but at the same time, you do have this movement, constant movement in American Christianity right now, which is that people aren't coming. We need to change it. We need to fix it. And, and that, Idea started back when things were a lot better than they are now and we keep trying to change and fix our way back into it and the one thing you don't ever hear someone say is "Well, why don't we try like like teaching christianity faithfully without worrying too much about how we could add to it or take away from it and you got to think well that might it might work you know it might just have an effect who knows so uh response or we move on let's let's Get more paragraphs All me. right, uh, Not be those guys. Uh, right? Uh, the third place, paragraph 41, bottom of page 133 in the first edition, at least. Christ does not stop being our mediator after we have been renewed. That'd be a good one to tattoo on your forehead. And I'm not actually saying do that, but the point is so that you never forget this or cease to see it, right? This, as, you're, as you're constantly reinterpreting fulfillment to be about you, as you're constantly making excuses or explanations of self, this is... the Gospel that remains for Christians after conversion. Christ does not stop being your mediator after you've been renewed. He continues. He continues. They err, that is, they make mistakes, who imagine that he has merited only a first grace. That is, he starts the path, you finish it, and that afterward we please God and merit eternal life by our fulfilling of the law. They err who imagine this. I gotta love their language there, the dreamers. Christ remains mediator. And we should always be confident that for his sake, we have a reconciled God, even though we are unworthy. Uh, what, a, what a great thought. We have a God, a God who is with us and for us. In spite of who we are, he has chosen to be who he is toward us, which is merciful and, and just, but steadfast, immovable, loving. Paul clearly teaches this when he says... I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted, right? My conscience doesn't accuse me. That doesn't mean I'm not a sinner. I still need help. Paul knows that through faith, he is counted righteous for Christ's sake, according to the passage from David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. See also Romans 4. But this forgiveness is always received through faith. Likewise, the credit for the righteousness of the gospel comes from the promise. Therefore, it is always received through faith. It must Always be regarded as certain that we are counted righteous through faith for Christ's sake. Uh, stop there, even though it's the middle of the editor's paragraph. That's the end of paragraph 42.
2: It's really important to, I mean, he makes a point here a couple times that Christ doesn't stop being our mediator. Mm. It's really important to point out what mediator means, connecting with the Old Testament. You had the priests who served as mediators mm. between God and men. Uh, You had the sacrifices. Christ is all of that wrapped up. And he doesn't stop being that mediator once you're kind of baptized and brought in. And uh, again, this just orients how we worship. Why do I come to church every Sunday? Well, because he hasn't stopped being my mediator, and I'm pretty sure I've sinned. since then his his sacrifice on the cross was full and complete christ died for those sins too even the ones that i'm going to commit in two seconds here but uh, as you look at me funny i'm already committing a sin but, oh, no, w- but w- christ w- hasn't w- stopped being my mediator I jump in yeah. in and bring
1: it bring it to bear on kind of where we've been going with this though because you, you mentioned sin but like he's going to be our mediator after the last day too he will continue yeah. to mediate grace not in that we will need to be forgiven but then we still need righteousness from somewhere that's not us, right?
3: Exactly. Well, that's, I want to jump in on that because we're talking about where does our comfort come from? Where does this assurance come from? And that exact same assurance that we have bef- you know, to get us saved, if that's an okay way to phrase it, is the same assurance we will continue to have throughout our life as a Christian. It actually doesn't change. Mm. And when we start talking about now you're saved, do this, you've changed the game. And, and we're just, we're simply saying, and the, you know, the apology is saying, and scripture says, the game never changes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if that's a good way. <laughs> Calling it a game is maybe a little too flippant, but the rules don't change. It's all the same. That same comfort that it's not about you, but when you become saved, when you are justified, it's the exact same comfort throughout your entire Christian life. It's not about you and what you do. That's amazing and i really like the way that this lays it out that
0: jesus doesn't stop being the mediator and i have a concern that sometimes when we start talking about conversion and we start talking about evangelism we lose sight of this truth and we start to talk about uh, when we came to faith like it's in the rear view mirror and we talk about hearing the good news of jesus and we lose sight of the fact that uh, evangelization, yeah, that is that is the word. That's I want a to real word. That is a real word. I like <laughs> it's, it's,
3: it. Let uh, me conjugate that real quick. Yep, that works. That, yeah. that, that's
0: a real word. I like it. Evangelization <laughs> is one of those things that never stops. Hmm. Uh, the word "evangel" means gospel, and Christians hear the gospel regularly when you go to church. You hear the gospel. Uh, you hear the, the the gospel reading read aloud. You hear the proclamation of the gospel in the absolution and in the sermon. You remember the gospel of your baptism. You receive the gospel of Jesus Christ as he comes to you in his body and in his blood. And so, uh, now I'm going to make up a word, kind of. Uh, we are gospeled regularly at church. We are evangelized at church and... It's not any kind of a of a program. It's not any kind of, of knocking on doors or finding somebody to go talk to about Jesus, but it is simply hearing and believing the Word of God, the gospel. And so that's exactly what we do. The gospel is for Christians too and I think that's a really important thing that sometimes we lose sight of because we we might fall into this kind of thinking of we need to go find the people who don't know about jesus and tell them about jesus because that's really important
1: which but the, it is, it,
0: and it absolutely is yeah, please yeah. don't mistake yeah, me yeah. on this. <laughs> uh, this is very important but on the flip side what is also very important is go look at the people sitting in the pew next to you they need to hear the gospel yeah. again too yeah. go look at the guy in the funny looking uh, robe not a dress but a robe up front he needs Even to hear the pink. gospel <laughs> I don't know where this is coming from, but okay. So no matter what it is, uh, everybody who gathers needs to hear the gospel. And so Jesus remains our mediator if you don't regularly go to church. If you do regularly go to church, you need to hear the gospel. And so this is a good reminder, not just for people outside of the Lutheran confessions, but even for us as confessional Lutherans that we need to hear. Jesus is still your mediator. He never stops doing exactly what he did when he brought you into this faith and he keeps it up.
2: We, We confess in the third article of the creed being taught by our small catechism that a work of the Holy spirit is that he calls, gathers, enlightens and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it in our one Lord Jesus Christ keeps it. This is exactly what Christ is doing as we are are we're, we're continuously called and gathered together in this. We're we're kept in the faith. And and that really gives me that assurance once again that I really desperately need. I am kept in the household. If I am homeless, right? I'm not worried about making a beautiful home. Hmm. But as I am in my home, I know that it's my home. I'm kept there. I'm a, you know, I I continually make my living and dwelling there. Right. Well, of course I'm going to want to make it a beautiful place that I enjoy living in and dwelling in. And so once again, we see the right understanding, the right order of things really leads to what we ultimately want. Um, But if we, if we start Telling a homeless person, "Well, you you gotta you know build a beautiful home." Well, how can I? I don't even have a home, right? Uh, so I'm kept in that home.
1: I think either you're getting at there the gospel. Something Pastor Hill said: the gospel right. is sufficient even for the Christian, right? Which I believe mm-hmm. you got that perhaps from Dr. Rod Rosenblatt, where I first heard that that statement. And uh, I, it's an important idea. And what something else you said that really struck me. It just never ceases to amaze me how many of our words have been changed by becoming English-speaking Americans. So that every every congregation in the Synod has got an evangelism committee. Uh, but yet, as you point out, evangelism comes from the word gospel, uh, gospelism, right? Why would that? We would never think that the gospel is only for the people that are outside the church. We would never think about evangelism. We think it is. Whereas the word confession, we think it's only a Roman Catholic word that means talk about your sins when in fact confession means to go tell your neighbor what they don't know yet about Jesus, right? So we, we've got the language for all of this, but in borrowing it from everywhere else, it's like we've lost a lot of the meaning. And at the heart, and gospelization never stops I pulled that from you except you didn't say gospelization but gospelization never stops what a what a tremendous thing to stand on I'm going to throw us this last bit of the paragraph here uh, before we, we go we got about three and a half minutes yet so you can each get a chance to jump in on this one here picking up at paragraph 43 If the regenerate afterward think that they will be accepted because of the fulfillment of the law, when would a conscience be certain that it pleased God? Right? There's no certainty in this case. We never satisfy the law. So we must always run back to the promise. Yes. Our infirmity must be recognized in this matter. We must regard it as certain that we are counted righteous for Christ's sake, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. If anyone thinks that he is righteous and accepted because of his own fulfillment of the law and not because of Christ's promise, he dishonors the high priest. This cannot be understood. How could someone imagine that a person is righteous before God when Christ is excluded as the atoning sacrifice and mediator? Now, that, that this cannot be understood, line I think what he's saying there is that you have to believe this. Like you can't, you, I think that's what it's getting at. Uh, you can't just Figure this one out. Only Christians are going to get it, but you're immediately going to get it. Like without Christ, I have no hope. Closing thoughts, gentlemen. You just got a good solid minute, so use it.
2: <laughs> I, I I think once again using this, uh, and maybe it's a poor analogy, but this this homeless analogy that I was using w- once again when I understand oh, poor
1: analogy. But don't, but shh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 Thanks for throwing me off. I'm sorry, uh, I <laughs> you, can it. you can do it. Yeah. Um so, so <laughs> if 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 you tell a poor person who is homeless that uh you know he he you know you you'll work with him, but he needs to do the work. He needs to complete the work uh to build his house. And he's like, I don't even have a place to build, you know. I you know he has no resources. But when you Put him in that house. Mm. He's gonna make it his own. He's gonna make it his home, where he is dwelling and doing the good works again. And uh, again, it it can fall down as an analogy. uh, But I I really do think. Wow, you really threw me off. Thanks for. My brain was so clear until you. (laughs) <laughs> okay, Jill, told the poor joke. I'm sorry. Wow, I, I, didn't,
1: I didn't think it was that bad, but we do have to wrap it up. I, I think you could save well, this. I think you got something there. We got we got one minute now. I was going to say
3: I, w- I just wanted to point out how we've had a little bit of shift in Melanchthon's language and how he's talking about the gospel, and I think it's important to grasp. Earlier in the apology, all of the talk was about comforting terrified consciences and and what that looks like, and now we've shifted to now he's talking about the promise, and mm. he even says so. We must always run back to. The promise there in line 44. And that's, I think to me, that's the important thing as we're going through this. If you're going to get anything out of the apology, keep looking for where the gospel is and keep getting that reinforced in your own mind, in your own heart, your own belief. You know, where's Jesus in this? Hey, I mean, Melanchthon's pointing to it. Now he's using the word promise. So look hmm. for that.
2: <laughs> and the promise is, is that yours is the kingdom of heaven. You are a child of God, our heavenly father. That is your home. That's your destination. You don't have to do anything to get there. And so naturally, when that is your dwelling place already, you already know the destination. Ah, I'm going to live rightly in that home.
0: And we continue to hear exactly how much we continue to need to hear the gospel. I really like this idea, uh, the, the way Melanchthon puts it as, if you think you're going to elbow Jesus out of the center of the Christian faith for the sake of your works, well, you're just flat out wrong that's laughable Keep looking to Jesus. Keep believing in Him. He is the
1: Savior of the world. Because of who He is and what He has done on the cross, you are sons. That means heirs according to the promise. That means you live in God's most holy house. You listen to Concord Matters on Worldwide KFYO. Pastor Jonathan Fisk talking with the angelic Pastor Peter Ill, the unanswerable Pastor Sean Smith, and the subtle Mister Peter Slayton about the truth we all believe and confess and hope to die and face the judgment therein. Because it is good news. It's good news for you too. We'll catch you next time on Concord Matters. Rock on.